0: Lord Jesus, as we open your word, as we talk about you, Lord Jesus, and what you've done for us, I am so aware of how much help I need from you, and that it's people don't need me, we need to hear from you, and you've chosen the, like the scripture says, the foolishness of preaching to bring us into a relationship with you, and into a deeper relationship with you so I pray that you would guide these words In Jesus name I pray amen I have a reputation around here as Ba humbug like I'm the Grinch now who do you think put these lights and tree up here yeah it was Janelle I supervised I, supervised. I did I did good um no I didn't even do that but I did ask Vanessa to sing Noel today, though. so can I get some points for that? Like, it's, don't ever think I don't love Christmas. If you want to have a cup of coffee and talk to them while well, you get this idea that I have Bah humbug, then we'll, we'll do that sometime, but it's a whole other, whole other deal. Um, but I can't believe that it is the Christmas season already. Like, you blink your eyes and it's back again, and I just got my ugly sweater in the mail that I ordered for our sweater and pizza party. So hopefully you're all going to stick around for that. I think you're going to like mine this year. We had some funny ones last year. It was awesome. But in praying about what do we do for the month of December, and I was praying like, Lord, I don't want, we don't need another cliche Christmas series or cliche Christmas message. And as I was praying about that, I felt like two things intersect. And meshed together perfectly for this series that we're going to do in the month of December. One is the verses in Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7, which is the prophecy about Jesus coming as a child that was written about 700 years before it was even fulfilled. And then the song, O Holy Night, a lyric from the song, O Holy Night, just brought this together. The, The lyric says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I love that line. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The world is weary. We live in a weary world. Some of you are very weary this morning and you need to hear what God has to say for you to create and, and reignite a hope inside of your heart to continue on and love Jesus and love people and, and do his will. We need what what God has for us this morning. So hope comes from the gospel. And in understanding the, the, the Christmas story itself, if you remember in Luke chapter 1, um, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. He says, greetings, highly favored one. He said, uh, and she was a virgin. We all know the Christmas story, right? At least... Uh, the Charlie Brown version, right? But she uh, was, was a virgin, and, and she was, he told her that she was going to conceive a child, the immaculate conception, the incarnation, and that she was going to, to give birth to a, a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he's going to be awesome and amazing. He's going to sit on the, the throne of King David forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end and I was thinking how Mary knew the Scriptures. She would have read the verse in Isaiah 9 at some point, and now she is being told that she's going to be used to be part of the fulfillment of a prophecy that was spoken 700 years before. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. Like, if you were Mary, like she, was, she was blown away. And it says in Isaiah 9, we're going to read this together The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what we're going to do in this series is we're going to unpack those titles of Jesus, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But today, I wanted to kick it off with focusing in on those words that said, The government shall be on his shoulders and his kingdom will have no end. How does that create hope for us? To think about King Jesus and his kingdom and for us to have an understanding about it. I want a shift in our thinking. I need a shift in my thinking, and I promise you, you need a shift in your thinking when you think of the future. We're nearsighted and we're 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 taught so early on, like, well, what, what school do I want to go to? What do I want to be when I grow up? What career will I have? Will I get married? Uh, will I have babies and will I have grandkids? Will I retire? And we think of the future in such a narrow focus of this side of, of eternity. And we, we're, we're, we're nearsighted. And I think God wants us to think big picture, think eternally. And that hope, when you think of, of the future, not just being the life that I have here on earth, but when I think of the future being eternity, all the little stuff that you go through in life becomes so small becomes so so little compared to that. So I believe God wants to have us think correctly about that so that we can have hope in this weary world. We can have the thrill of hope when we think of eternal life. So first, I want to do a couple bullet points just by way of thinking about Jesus. The government shall be upon his shoulders and his kingdom will have no end. So the first thing to write down is the king and his kingdom. If you don't have our app, you can download the Novation app and the sermon notes are provided for you uh, every week, and you can email them to yourself. It's actually a really cool little thing, thing to do, and you can actually look like you're, you know, I won't think you're checking your fantasy football score or something like that during service. But it's actually a really, really good way. Saves paper too, right? Um, anyway, the king and his kingdom, the, uh, the angel told Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. And will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will have no end. We need a little history lesson. If you don't know the Bible very well, what is the history of kings and the people of God? When you read Genesis until you get to First Samuel, there were no kings. There were just God had leaders. He raised up Abraham to be Father Abraham, the people of God, Israel, then he, you know, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and so on. And it's not till we get to 1 Samuel that we see this idea of Israel or the people of God even having a king. And because God was their king. They were a true theocracy where God was their king. And they didn't need a king. They had leaders and leadership, but but God was to be their king. Well, over and over and over, when you read the history of Israel, they were so always tempted to be like the nations around them and worship their foreign gods and all of that. It's really type and shadow of our Christian life as well. But in particular, they wanted a king. They cried out to Samuel the prophet and said, we want a king like the other nations around us. And in 1 Samuel 8, Samuel takes it to the Lord in prayer, and God says, listen, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me as their king. And God gives them what they wanted for, wanted, what they asked for, even though he had told them, I'm your king. And so they raise, God raises up Saul, King Saul, right? And King Saul was the prototype of what a king should look like, big in stature, handsome, all of that. But he didn't have a king's heart. He didn't have a heart after God. And so Saul immediately, in his kingship, he sinned. And God took the kingdom away from him, and he gave it to David, a man after his own heart. And I love that David was a man after God's own own heart, and yet when you study the life of David, he had some major failures in his life, and yet God knew he was going to fail him like that, and yet he called him a man after his own heart. That brings comfort to a, a knucklehead like me, you know. But so God promises to David that there would be a king on his throne forever. Well, what that was, that was a prophetic word about Jesus because Jesus came from the line of David. He came from the lineage of David, Jesus being the king of kings. And so after the dispersion, if you, to finish my history lesson here, the, the Jews ended up disobeying God. So they raised up, David died, and then there was Solomon and so on. It was good king, bad king, good king, bad king, to the point where God said, listen, I'm going to disperse you and you're not going to have your, your nation anymore. And they went to Babylon, and they didn't, they didn't have, you know, the, the land the way they did. And so by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, they're under the tyranny of the Romans, right? And they were crying out for a king like David. We want a king like David he heal, but we need a mighty warrior who will make Israel great again. I've been waiting for that to be funny every time I've done, I did, said that. Little hats like with Star of David. make. Just kidding. Um, That was bad. But that's what they wanted. They wanted Israel to be what it used to be. And that wasn't God's plan. God sent Jesus and initiated his kingdom through a cross. Not through military or might, but ushered in a spiritual kingdom where people would be born of the spirit. And it was from the inside out. And so to understand the king and his kingdom is to understand how Jesus came into this world and what he said and preached. The disciples were nearsighted. For three years, they walked with Jesus and they would say, when are you gonna restore Israel back again and all of that? And Jesus is like, you don't get it. I'm here to die. I'm gonna be raised again on the third day. And, and there's, there will be a fulfillment to this, but it's not now. My kingdom is starting differently. So secondly then, If we're going to understand that the king and his kingdom is not of this world, the king and his kingdom right now is spiritually speaking. Where is the kingdom of God then? When you talk about the kingdom of God, where is that? Well, the kingdom of Christ is wherever he is ruling and reigning. The kingdom of Christ is wherever he is ruling and reigning. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees one time, he was asked... Um, when the kingdom of God would come. And he replied saying, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is wherever he is ruling and reigning. Kingdom of God is all over this world in the lives of believers. Is he ruling and reigning in your life? Because if he's calling the shots in your life, then he's ruling and reigning. The kingdom of God is in your heart in your life. Every time we bow our knee and obey Jesus and put him first, he is ruling and reigning. So that's where the kingdom of God is right now, wherever he is ruling and reigning. In Mark chapter one, verse 15, Jesus comes into the world. The first thing that we see him say to the world is repent for the kingdom of God is near. And he's basically saying, listen, change your thinking about how you see the kingdom of God. I'm here and I'm the king. Change your thinking, change your disposition towards God, and follow me. And that's where the kingdom of God is, its ruling and reigning inside of us. So we go back to our text in Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. So the kingdom of God started small, but it's continuing to grow through lives and lives, and over the last 2,000 years, it's been blowing up. And until he comes again, it will continue to increase. Earthly kingdoms have boundaries and borders, right? Jesus' kingdom does not have boundaries and borders. Earthly kingdoms have endings and transitions of power and leadership. Not Jesus' kingdom. He's always been the king, and he will, he will always rule as king. So he's ruling in the hearts of his people, in the lives of people from all nations all around the world. He's ruling in the lives of people who live in nations where his name is forbidden to, to be spoken. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who live in parts of the world where they're persecuted for following Jesus. We know nothing of that. We think not saying Merry Christmas is persecution sometimes or that Starbucks won't make a, uh, a you know, Christmas thing or whatever. That's not persecution. Persecution is when you're beaten, killed, prodded for preaching that jesus christ lived and died and rose again and then you're beaten for it and forbidden to say his name that's persecution but even though we have brothers and sisters in christ in places around the world who are forbidden to speak his name that doesn't mean that he's not ruling and reigning there because he's ruling and reigning in their hearts at a cost you bet but he's still ruling and reigning their persecutors don't rule and reign he does I was, uh, spent a good deal of time last week with Nathan Enox, who is uh, Jennifer and Richard's son and brother of Dan and Andrea. And he's a missionary in Turkey. So Turkey is a, a Muslim country. And he was telling me what God's doing there. It was really cool to hear about that. And Turkey's a pretty friendly country in, in many ways compared to some of the other Middle Eastern dispositions towards Christianity and so forth. But he told me in Iran that people are coming to Christ in Iran left and right, and they're deeply, deeply persecuted there, for, for, and people are getting you know, hands cut off, and crazy things happen for being a follower of Jesus. But the more they persecute the church, the more people come into the church. That's the book of Acts, right? That's how it happened early. And, you know, I don't know what, what's going to happen in our world, but right now we freely are worshiping and speaking the name of Jesus and there's nobody busting through that door and arresting me for telling you about Christ this morning. Keep, those, keep our brothers and sisters that are persecuted in Christ in your prayers. I think that's very important. And then thirdly, the kingdom of Christ is both now and then. That's a little play on words. The ultimate fulfillment of the king and his kingdom, so that the king is in his kingdom is wherever he's ruling and reigning. And so his kingdom is now but it's going to be fulfilled when he returns and creates the new heavens and the new earth and we rule and reign with him for all eternity. So start thinking out that way rather than how nearsighted we get to the things of this life that we struggle with, that I struggle with. The kingdom of Christ is both now, it's happening, it's growing, and it'll be then. Here's another prophecy about the future when Jesus comes again And physically sets up his kingdom. In the book of Daniel, Daniel writes, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The fulfillment of that has not happened yet. But it's a future event. So when we talk about hope and the thrill of hope, that's that future event when we're with Jesus for all of eternity. When he sets up his physical kingdom and there's no sin, no sorrow, all that we were just singing about in the song before I came up here, no, no sickness or that, that's eternity. That's what our hope really is. But it began, it began, Jesus in the parable said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Though it's the smallest of seeds, it blossoms into a huge tree. And a little leaven works through the dough, little by little. So the kingdom of God started with, a, with Jesus and his, and his people, his disciples, spreading the word, people coming to Christ, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and it's continued on to you and I today knowing about it. And then we're passing that that on. So, in our understanding of some things here, how do we prepare for this ultimate future? How do we prepare for eternity? Because, guys, I I, I feel so burdened with this that I woke up in the middle of the night seeing your faces, and I was thinking about myself and us and how we focus on the little nuances of this life, and we don't think big picture. And I was just like, God, help me to think big picture and eternally so that I don't get so upset over little dumb things in this world. And the little tests and trials don't steal my joy or try to take my hope because my hope is an eternity with you. And I think, God, you, some of you are going through some hard things. And the only way you're going to get through that is to have a hope that supersedes your difficulty and to know that your future is more than the amount of time you get on this earth, that your future is with him forever. So the first thing I would say, and the simplest of things, is look to him for salvation. Have you looked to Jesus for salvation? The word salvation in itself lends itself to the reality that we need to be saved from something. And we need to be saved from eternal separation from God. Every person was created to live forever. Those who look to Jesus for salvation will live with him for all eternity. I said, have you done that? Look to him, build your life on him. I saw this on Facebook the other day, maybe you saw this too. Um, there was a guy that was hang gliding. Did anybody see this crazy thing on Fox News? So this guy's hang gliding, there's a pilot that's gonna fly, the, and the guy was gonna ride with him. And the pilot did not hook him in correctly. You can watch this, and there's a little camera in the back. And they, they take off over this, cliff, and they're hundreds and hundreds of feet up in the air. And all of a sudden, you see the guy start slipping a little bit. And all of a sudden, he's just holding on for dear life, holding the guy's leg. And you know they are in a panic, right? And so for two and a half minutes, he flew hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air, just hanging on with his hands for dear life. And the pilot of the hang glider had the ability to finally, like they were over a bunch of houses and all kinds of things to get him down to a soft patch of grass. And right before he was getting ready to land, the guy jumped off. He ended up breaking his arm, but he lived to tell about it, right? And then the guy lands the hang glider. And I thought, man, you know, that dude was, he saved his life. You know, he was able to do that. Now it was his problem that he wasn't hooked in, right? So that's a whole other story. But, but, the, the reality was that this guy had to be saved from, from his death. I, uh, I, was anybody raised in a church where you, you, you had catechism? Anybody? Catechism is a way of learning where it's through questions and answers, questions and answers. And some of you just had nightmares when you thought of catechism right there. Like, Ooh. But actually, catechism is a really good thing. It's just a method of learning. And so you ask a question and then you, you remember the answer. So you remember the question, you memorize that, and you, you memorize the answer. In uh, the 1500s, uh, uh, the, there's the, one of the catechisms is called the Heidelberg Catechism. And these guys, it was a way of training your children, a way of learning the Bible and learning scriptures. And the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism is, what is your only hope in life and death? And the answer is, That I'm not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What is your only hope in life? Have we looked to Christ for salvation? Am I building my life on him and him alone? you got to be honest. Is that your only hope? Not for me all the time. I want it to be. I put my hope in people too much, or I put my hope in things my ultimate hope is in Him, but the older I get, the more and more I realize He's it. He's my only hope. Um, life has a way of revealing what your hope really is in. When something is taken away from you, um, you know, we, we're, we're narrow-minded again or nearsighted is a better thing of, you know, what am I going to be when I grow up, my career, my marriage, my kids, my 401K, etc. All those things can be taken away. So you can't put your hope in something that can be taken away from you. So when he's your only hope and the hope of eternity, that can't be taken away from you. Your job can, a person can, but he can't be taken away. Secondly, look for his return. It says in uh, <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As sure as Jesus came the first time, he's coming again. There's prophecies about his first coming that were already fulfilled, and there's prophecies about his second coming that will be fulfilled ultimately in the future. So here's the deal. In our lifetime, all of us are going to meet him face to face because he's either going to return or we're going to die. And when we die, we stand before the Lord. So we will meet him in our lifetime. So look for his return. But thirdly, long for his return. This is that part of my thinking and your thinking that we need a change on. I think longing for his return is a challenge for some believers because I'm I'm nearsighted. I want to have a job. I want to get married. I want to see my grandkids. And is any of that wrong or bad? Of course not. But whatever is good in this life, whatever's been good to you, whatever you've enjoyed, what we get in eternity with Jesus is going to be fifty billion times better than anything we've good that we, we've experienced in this life, and it is important for us to understand that, to have that shift in our thinking. Hebrews chapter nine, verse twenty-eight. So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly await, are waiting for him, eagerly circled. Am I eagerly waiting for him or am I so focused on this world, I'm not thinking about that. Again, life has a way of showing us what our hope's really in and what we're really valuing um first corinthians 2 9 we used to sing this when i was first a christian there was a song no eye has seen no ear has heard should i lead worship no do you guys anybody remember that song somebody you you have to remember that thank you thank you thank you um and it's so easy to read this verse and not really contemplate what it says However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen, so nobody's ever seen the future to know this amazing kingdom of God that we're going to live with him for all eternity. No ear has ever heard, and no mind has ever been able to even conceive what God has for us in eternity. Because our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the life to come. Um, I'm a big, huge C.S. Lewis fan. Anybody else C.S. Lewis? Yep. He was an amazing uh, Christian guy that was a a devout atheist that became one of the greatest spokesmen for the faith in the last century. And he was a great... I love his books on philosophy and, and, and theology and so forth. But the Chronicles of Narnia, baby. Like that, the Chronicles of Narnia is fiction fantasy allegory on how to understand the gospel a little bit better and so from the time my kids were little i would i read the chronicles of narnia to them and and i would read it and we'd start over and and continued on that and so this is the one of the books that i actually read to my children now they're all grown up and doing things but i'm gonna have a little tearful moment here looking at this book because this this has memories of that. If you haven't read this to your children, I encourage you to do that. If pick up the series, The Chronicles of Narnia. And I know some of you are like, yeah, I saw the movie. It's, it's kind of weird, and I don't get into fantasy and, and all of that. That's fine. Just humor me here in this for just a second. But in, without trying to tell you the whole story, there's four main characters, four kids, and they live in England. And they go to Narnia, this place called Narnia and they experience all these amazing things and fight battles and do all this stuff, then they have to always go back to England, and they go back to Narnia. And so the the book, the last battle, the last book in the series, um, there's this huge battle that happens. And then the end of the book, the very last page, Aslan, who is the, the Christ figure, the lion, and he's looking at the four of them, and he says, you do not look... So happy as I mean you to be. Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away. And you have uh, sent us back to our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. There was a, Aslan says, there was a real railway accident. He said softly, your father and your mother and all of you or as you used to call it in the shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. He's writing about us. This life is so small. It's the title page. Death and eternity and the second coming is just the beginning of what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no heart has ever conceived. Try to let yourself think out there sometimes about the goodness of God and the good things of God and what life will be like. The last point is this, live for him now. Look to him for salvation, look for his return, long for his return But live for him now. Live for him. In Psalm 39, verses 4 through 7, look at at the words of this psalm. It says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best. Each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Life is so brief. Guys, I woke up and I was 51. Some of you are older than me. And I can remember being a kid like it was yesterday. Anybody relate to that? Some of you are struggling to remember, but at least you have those memories. <laughs> and the fact is, life, it just go, it's another year went by. Your kids are going to grow up so fast. I know you hate to hear that, but it's true. But the reality is time doesn't fly. Time is constant. It tick-tock, tick-tock. I mean, it does what it does. It's us living in the moment, living for him and realizing, man, my life on this earth is so short. So what does God want for my life? How can I build my life on hope and him being my only hope? How can I invest all of my life? Invest all of your life in eternity. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. Invest everything you have in eternity. Love people well. Forgive people that hurt you. Share Jesus with people who don't know him. Put him first in every area of your life. Here's what I want to do before we take communion together stand to your feet with me. Pretty please. Would you pray this psalm that we just read out loud? We're going to all say it together. But let's pray it from our hearts and ask God to to do exactly what the psalm says. Okay, let's let's pray this together. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best. Each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. I can't think of a better way to kick off a Christmas series than to take communion together. Because the babe in the manger, the child born in Bethlehem, was on a mission. He was on a mission to live to die in our place, and to rise again. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he ushered in the new covenant. And he, on, on the night that he had the Last Supper with his disciples, he said that the, the wine represented his, his blood and that the bread represented his body that was going to be broken and poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, that we could have new life and eternal life with him. And as we take communion together this morning, let's ask the Lord to stir our hearts, to stir our hearts, to to have the hope, the thrill of hope of eternity in Him, in Him alone. If you've never received Christ as Savior, don't just take the communion elements lightly. This isn't a tradition that we do. This is, this is for, for people who believe that Jesus' was, body was broken for their sins. It's for people who have recognized that their sins have separated them from God. And that the blood of Jesus was shed, as we take the cup, was shed to, to atone for our sins. That we could be made right and righteous and declared not guilty. Let's don't take that lightly. Have you looked to him for salvation? If you haven't, by taking the communion this morning as an act of faith, you're looking to him for salvation. What a beautiful thing. So what we're going to do is grab the elements, um, come get them. There's two tables up here. Take it back to your seat, and then we'll take it together as a family. All right?